Welcome to Backlist and Chill. I am Ollie from near Philadelphia. I'm Sinan from Ohio. And this is, I already said it, Backlist and Chill, but we're mm-hmm. on season eight, episode two. What are we talking about? We are talking about the Fear Street Saga. Awesome. By Earl Stein, Avi. In case you didn't know who did the Fear Street Saga. Right. <laughs> and this is book two. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The Secret. It's a different kind of secret. But it was pertinent. It really it was. It was relevant. Yeah, I remember at the end of the uh, last episode, which was yesterday, so obviously I remember it very well. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> there was the question of how the betrayal was important. Will the secret be important? And it was. It was. I appreciate Bob sticking to it, you know? Yeah, right? Like, for how much shit we give him, he's solid on this so the next one's called The Burning, and gosh, I guess it's going to be about that. One would hope, considering <laughs> all of the covers so far. I know. I showed you a little image and said, is this too much of a spoiler? And you're like, yeah, probably. Because it was fire. Yeah. <laughs> it was very distinctive. They really, really are. All right. So, um, what you drinking today? Um, so last time I drank a cocktail made with fireball cinnamon whiskey, mm-hmm. and I actually got three little nips while I was shopping. And it wasn't meant to be a running thing. I just thought I might need more because I drink big, big old fuck off glasses of alcohol. But (laughs) especially when you have to talk about these kinds of books. (laughs) But I only used one uh, yesterday. So I was like, what if I do a fireball themed cocktail every time? It seems appropriate. Mm, I like this. So what what did we mix up? Uh, Today we're drinking fireball cinnamon whiskey. Shockingly good. Mm. With a pumpkin spice apple cider. Ooh, that sounds really nice. Yeah, it's basically the same thing, but one's alcoholic. So (laughs) I am going to call it a fear, but if you rearrange the letters, it spells fire. (laughs) That's the full title. Please remember Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, when I got to that part, I was just like, oh my god, give me but this drink sounds great. I would try it. I like it was very good. Yeah. All right. Um. So I am still sitting pets and there's a toddler that lives upstairs. So just if you hear thump, thump, thumps or you hear chewing noises, it's totally me. <laughs> Definitely not a dog or a child. I am drinking the same thing I drank last time. I thought it was a hard apple cider, but apparently it's a hard fruit cider so there might not even be any apple in this Interesting. Um, so my whole comment about it bringing out the apple flavor oh no wait it mm. says apple juice never mind okay <laughs> i was not wrong i fooled myself <laughs> twice anyway um angry orchard hard fruit cider peach mango with about a shot's worth of lemon juice in it to just kind of take the edge off of it but it, it is drinkable on its own without the lemon juice but and oh and of course a fuck ton of ice sounds good Yep, and as uh, per last time, it is still power through fear. Right, that hasn't gone anywhere. Don't worry. Nope, it's still here. I can still call it that. <laughs> I only drank one yesterday as well, so I still have like four left. Nice for us to listen. Book three is going to be <laughs> lit. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I have to finish all of these. <laughs> all right, so it sounds like our drinks are good today again. Hooray! Yay us. We're doing an awesome job. Are you ready to hear about the blurb? Do it. All right. So, uh, R.L. Stein, The Fear Street Saga, number two, The Secret. 
buried evil. That's the, what it says in the back. What is the secret of Fear Street? Why has its horror lasted for so long? Ezra Fear wants to find out. He searches for the answer among the rotting bones in the ghostly town of Wickham, but he finds only betrayal and death. Elizabeth and Kate are in love with the same boy. How can they know that they too are caught by the evil that will haunt this family forever? Dun 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 dun. Alright, this was a less interesting blurb than last time. Also more of a lie than the teaser at the back of the last book, because it pretends that Ezra is like a protagonist. Right? He is not. He had three pages at the end of the last book to be a protagonist and then fucked off to be a dad who was obsessive, so. Yeah, I love that too, because like, as previously stated, there are only like four types of characters that appear in these books (laughs) and obsessive dad, 45% of them. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, uh, I'm going to be in a Fear Street saga book. Oh, great. I'm a dude. Ooh. Yeah, you're probably going to be an obsessive dad. Damn yeah, yeah. <laughs> an obsessive dad and or murder hobo. <laughs> Possibly both. If you're William Good. <laughs> or Ezra Fear. Oh, gosh, right? And it also leaves out the best character of this entire book, which is Jonathan. Yes, Jonathan, the one good fear boy. Yeah. He is not mentioned. It It's the kind of back cover that you look at and go, well, it's the second in a saga, so maybe I need to read the first one to get it. But then you kind of look and go, well, like Fear Street book one and Fear Street book two, like they didn't have anything to do with each other, so maybe I can just read this. And chances are you're correct. You could just read this book. But I, I do wish they had mentioned Nora again, mm-hmm. just to tie that in a little more, because she was completely, like, useless in this book. Her framing device is, like, the same thing all three times we see her. Well, yeah, it was the same thing in the first book, except for the very first chapter. Yeah, exactly. She got that. And it's like, I wanted more information, and I know that we'll get it in book three, because freaking hopefully her story will be at least half of that. There was a little bit. There was a very little bit where they talked about her, like, waiting for somebody to walk into her room and, like... And then they didn't. I would have liked that. I would have liked a scene of someone checking on her. I love that because it was a an Arl Stein end of chapter cliffhanger, but they didn't resolve <laughs> it until after the middle story. Yeah, it was, like, 60 pages later and... Oh, God, no, not even. 97, page 97 is when Nora gets the bottom half of one page and like six lines at the top of the next one. So like a page barely to be like, oh, good. They kept walking past. Like, just give us anything. (laughs) Whose house is she in? I don't understand why Nora's even here. Yeah, we didn't need Nora. Much as I love her, we don't need her. I mean, I guess to like be the lady on the cover or something. I just don't understand the point of <laughs> But they could have had this different framing ladies. device. Yeah, no, and if you I mean, obviously they're all meant to be Nora, I think. I'm but pretty sure. Given the way all of the women in these these books are described, it could be any of them. Yeah. It would have been like I obviously love every single one of the covers, but mm-hmm. it could have been nice to see Nora running out of the flames in the first cover, you know, with the cloak, and to see I don't know, Susanna Good as the big face on the first cover? Yeah, like a witchy, witchy look. Yeah, like something to just have her with her hair, like, kind of strewn down, like, and that we realize later, oh, she's in prison kind of thing, but like, mm-hmm. oh, it looks evil. 
And this one, God, who the fuck is even important in this one? Jonathan, just put fucking Jonathan on the cover. Or Elizabeth or Kate. Right? There's like many gals. You could have put Abigail, even though she's like eight or something. I love but like, Kate. Yeah, her, her with her little red hair and her blue eyes, like in her fucking... No, I take it back. I do not want to see a goddamn bonnet on these covers. <laughs> Agreed. I thought about that for the first cover in Sarah and I was like... No, no. These books really, um, like, cover-wise, get by on how hot Nora is. So I feel like adding a bonnet to the equation would really impact... My desire as a small child to have read these. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. It's like they took a cast and looked at the cast and went, Well, that's our prettiest girl, so let's put her on the cover of all three. Sir, she's only in the third one. Mm. All right, intersperse some of her, like, writing throughout the first two. All right. If that'll let her be on the cover. She got her role upgraded. Yeah, she did. <laughs> but, like, hey, Nora, we need you back for the first two. Just for some, like, you know, post-production scenes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. A little ADR. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty much what it feels like, right? <laughs> She's like, I must keep going. I must keep writing. Like, how long does this candle work, like, last? <laughs> oh, I mean, she does discuss that a little bit, doesn't it? She's like, when this candle runs out, oh, I dread it, or do I? I don't know. I don't know. I'm so indecisive. Keep writing! But, like, the candle is, like, basically almost out at that 97 page. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you still have a whole other fucking book to write. And the last third of this book. Well, listen, um, the, you know, it was very short. It's only 147. 43. No, 47. Yeah. The last one was like 167 or something. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 97 to 47. That's only 30 more pages she needed to write. It's fine. (laughs) For one book. She's got a whole other book. I guarantee you she does not get another candle. Mm, I don't know. Maybe she writes real fast. I hope so. I hope she writes like <laughs> 20 words per minute. <laughs> you imagine? Oh, yeah, I'm a 60 word per minute person You're with like, a quill. What? <laughs> that would, in fact, be impressive. That would be incredibly impressive. It would be great if that's what Nora used the fear amulet for to just write real fast. She's like, please use your weird Scottish slash Irish magic to <laughs> let my candle last longer and let my hand write really, really, really fast. Right. She just gives herself like celerity one. <laughs> she takes Brownie's boon. No one's looking so she can like do three times the actions. <laughs> Perfect. Nerds. All right. <laughs> please. Since we have now discussed the cover a bunch. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, it's another uh, shot of Nora being hot. Um, I'm going to say brows, not as on point on this one. No. I feel like, for me, brows need to have more of a shape to them, where these are more just, like, pencil lines of surprise. Yeah, these are currently just kind of line, just, like, swoop, done. Yeah, no, you need a little more, like, volume in the front, Nora. Her lips look very touchable, though. Yes, the lips are good. The eyes are great. Yes, dramatic. The choker, beautiful. I love the choker. It's a good touch. It's a very, um, like, gothic touch. 
Yeah, I definitely wore things like this after reading these books. <laughs> right? Because they make it look so cool, and then your fucking nerdy 13-year-old ass wears it, and you're like, what am I doing? I just look like the chick where if you, like, pull the ribbon off, my head will fall off. Like, <laughs> Look, but you know I love that story. <laughs> I know. Uh, anyway, so it's Nora looking um, vaguely surprised, I guess. Her cheeks are a little a little pink, though, so perhaps she's embarrassed. Maybe. Maybe a little flustered. I shouldn't be writing. Uh, and her lips slightly parted, wearing a choker, staring at the reader. On the, um, the right side, her left, there is uh, the silhouettes of a woman and a man standing against a fire. Then two gravestones in front of those with the writing that is totally illegible. I mean, one says daughter. I genuinely went to do the, like, zoom in thing, (laughs) and I can't. All right, this definitely says daughter, and, like, died March, bleh, aged, like, maybe seven years. That name definitely begins with an L, which is very odd to me. And then next to it, they do not have a name, aged maybe nine years and 15 days? That's Wow, weird. that's so specific. It really is. And the weird part is, is that the left one kind of looks like a young girl, but the right one looks like a boy. Yeah, somebody died like March 5th of bleh. Okay, so they did make an attempt to draw something. Something, but they made really interesting choices. So yeah, there are two little headstones with a girl and a boy head on top of each of them. <laughs> and then uh, to the left, sort of obscuring the bottom half of Nora's neck chestal region. There is a bouquet of flowers and like a weird silver bouquet holder. Yeah, I was expecting that to come into play. It does not. Just a weird cover touch. Um, And it it's laying on top of a pool of blood. <laughs> so yeah, at no point is a bouquet important in this book. Yeah, I know like at one point a character picks a bunch of flowers, but definitely does not put it into what I assume is a really pretty silver bouquet holder. I didn't even know such things existed. Very interesting. I didn't know either. So good job, Bill Schmidt. Yep. Good choices. Uh, very intriguing cover. As per usual. Oh, and then fire. Fuck ton of fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fire. In the background. Always. Always fire. If we don't mention the fire, just assume the fire <laughs> is there. Just fill it in your mind. All right. And I'm going to smell it. Oh, oh, good point. Good point. Good point. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yep. Mm, got that Got that dust smell. I feel like it's, we're like, all right, man, I'm going to do the drugs now. <sighs> Some good shit. So, yeah. actually, I, I sent you a picture, but mine has, like, a weird hole what? in the, the pages. Oh, I didn't see that. Somebody, like, drilled a hole or something. Oh, just a no. very small one in the top of the... It's very confusing. I wonder if there was, like, a literal bookworm. <laughs> that would be very interesting i mean it looks like something chewed like there are little tiny bites taken out of it so maybe intriguing um the one thing i want to mention online so yes of course again that same lovely little brown halo along the edges of the pages mm-hmm. um and it smells like i think it smells better than yesterday it's got a more wood flavor going on to it so that that paper pulp smell um but the inside of my book says in a very legible handwriting that I would have been jealous of as a child, Sarah B. 
Becker. So oh, yeah. Whoever had this book before me, um, before they or their mother decided to throw it uh, at a used bookstore, their name was Sarah Becker. And I mm-hmm. hope they enjoyed this. I have one, too. Mine is uh, Lindsay Payne. God, that is a Fear Street name if ever I heard one. <laughs> I've got Sarah Becker and you've got Lindsay Payne, and I ship it. <laughs> Wherever they are I'm... as adults now, I hope that they're together talking about their Fear Street saga book love. Right, that they donated to a used bookstore many years ago. <laughs> and then they're, like, married now. <laughs> Somehow, they found each other. <laughs> Alright. Nothing new to add on history of this book for me, um, except that the thing I thought was going to happen didn't happen, and now I'm beginning to doubt my memory, because I've only got one more book to go to see if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, where the fuck did this scene come from? And should I just put it in a book myself? So, if it doesn't show up, I'm putting it somewhere. Now, why don't you refresh us on the scene that we're looking for, so that we can know slash readers may know it involves someone being buried and they were definitely not dead and there's like i'm not i don't want to spoil too much but like when they open the coffin they can really fucking tell that like this girl wasn't was was alive when she was buried and there is a coffin in this one but the girl is definitely dead yes yes they don't even mention uh, any possibility of scratch marks or anything so yeah because that was the part that really like terrified me with this scene as you know as a sixth grader just the idea of oh my god and you could be buried and you're not dead gross (laughs) i mean i feel like that's something that could be in literally any fear street book i know which is why it's like where the fuck is that (laughs) i'm sure in fact that that is in multiple fear street books (laughs) but this is the historical one that I thought it was in. So I guess we'll, we'll find see. out. Anything that you remembered about this book? Or I'm assuming still nothing. Nope. I continue to be surprised by things that I feel like I shouldn't have forgotten because they were incredibly stupid. <laughs> um. Yeah, I forgot everything about this book. <laughs> there was nothing in this book I remembered. <laughs> like reading it. It was only obvious where it was going because of trope knowledge and, like, Fear Street knowledge, where it's like, oh, yeah, okay, you're this person, you're that person. I was surprised by at least one twist, but I guessed it a couple pages before it was revealed, where I was like, (laughs) I know what's happening. Um, (laughs) But other than that, I didn't remember anybody. I didn't remember Jonathan, and that is a shame. I will forever now love Nora and Jonathan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jonathan, the only good fear boy. He is a very good boy. Ready to talk about the plot? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So when we left off, it was Ezra, and he was gonna go up to Wickham and probably stab a dude, but somehow 17 motherfucking years pass. Some fucking how? I mean, I guess I wasn't surprised that Ezra was not the protagonist since we read the little snippet of the last book that told us that it was going to be Jonathan and we sort of guessed that that would be Ezra's son. But like, it does take that man 17 years to get there. What were you doing, <laughs> to Wickham, sir? Right? I would have preferred to see like him arrive in Wickham and then like move elsewhere and like try to live a life but still be obsessed about it have a family and then be like no I've, I've been obsessed be- like i would have liked to, to gone to wickham been like fuck i don't have anything 
moved somewhere else, started a family, have what happens in the first section happen, and then be like, I am renewed in my hatred, and go that way, as opposed to like, dude, you like somehow met a girl and had three kids before you made it to Wickham. Yeah, it's a weird vibe, because like, Ezra's whole vibe in the end of the last book, in the beginning of this one, and, you know, to the end of his life, is this weird obsession with revenging on the goods. Finding George good and being like, stab, stab. Right, to the point that him having a family at all feels very strange. Agreed. Opening this book, and he's got like a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old, and a wife. (laughs) I'm just like... Are you, kid- are you kidding me? Right? Like, I could see him having a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old that he doesn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> By three different women. I just feel like a family would really slow Ezra down, you know? And he's Clearly really got to get there, killing the rest of the goods. So why bother with the children and the wife? Right? Why not just, like, be an absentee father where you're running off and, like... Oh, I've got another lead oh. on them. No, you're right. You're right. It's here. It's here to fucking the Fear Street curse because he has to have. He has to fucking carry on the line. You're right. This is a stupid thing to wonder about. Of course, <laughs> it's. But we're allowed to wonder about it and be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> because his character was painted one way at the end of this book, and reading it literally the next day instead of three months later. But he's so different. He just feels like a more obsessed William Good who happens to be a fear. Yeah. Well, and that's again an issue of all of these characters fitting God, into one or two archetypes. Terrible characterization. Right. And they all feel exactly the same, regardless. Like William Fear or William Good feels like Benjamin Fear, who feels like Ezra, who mm-hmm. feels like Franklin Frank. Good. Like yeah. they all feel the same. Yeah. And it would just be really fucking nice if it was different. Yeah. And just, like, overall being able to get attached to any of these characters. So, like, I'm glad we get Jonathan, like, beginning, middle, and basically, you know, told his end. Yeah. That's like, hooray, this character gets a full story and a full life, which makes him interesting. Yeah, because we, as you said, we see him in various stages and, like, it still time skips but we don't skip to different characters. We stick with Jonathan for, you know, at least two sections. Yeah. And uh, he's not a fucking raging asshole. Oh my god, he's so, not, as you put it, a murder hobo. He's not a murder hobo. He doesn't lose his mind. He's not a woman who loses her <clears throat> mind as soon as her love is revealed to be problematic. <laughs> The nicest possible way. Yeah, like, we could have had that with Ezra because we saw him as a child. And we saw him as a 21-year-old who was just, like, so disaffected youth. And then we see him as a father twice. You know, like, first when, like, his son is 12 and then when his son is uh, 18. Ezra had a real opportunity to be an interesting antagonist. And instead, he's just fucking falls flat. And again, I know we're mad about it because, and it's like, who cares? But <sighs> I care. I think it's interesting the way that Ezra's characterization changes. Like in the, um, when he's a 20 year old, he's very like, oh, I'm going to strike out. 
and get revenge on those goods because, you know, inheritance or whatever. But then, like, you see him again when Jonathan is a little kid and he is like fire and brimstone. I'm going to murder everybody. I'm going to yell at my entire family. Oh, my God. I know, right? And then you see him as an older man and he kind of does the Benjamin thing where like the fire and brimstone takes a backseat. Like obviously it's still there and he's like an obsessive murder person, (laughs) but less of a dickish father and he's like less overtly an obsessive murder man. He becomes more neglectful and less abusive in like an active way. You know what it is? He's not the antagonist anymore. Hmm. Yeah, well, because, like, he had a he had a loss in his third scene, basically. Where, like, as a kid, he has a bunch of losses that just he doesn't understand. And then we see him and he's like, wham, I'm gonna go find all those goods because I didn't get to live a nice life in a big farmhouse. I had to live in the middle of the woods. Meh. And then, like, he has a family and one of the kids dies. So by the time we see him six years later, even though he's only, like, 42, <laughs> he's like an old broken man who is still fucking obsessed. He's like fucking Captain Ahab over here. Yeah. Like I think it's so funny that you're you're looking at it from like, oh, you know, a character. He's experienced loss. It's changed him. And I'm over here like, yeah, Arl Stein just didn't need him to fill this role anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> like he's just like he needed to be like an active asshole because he was Jonathan's antagonist in the first part. But in the second part, it's not really about his father's antagonism anymore. They're being harassed by an external force. So he doesn't need to be an in-your-face asshole. So he just kind of fades into the background. I know I ask too much of these cult <laughs> books. And I know I want good characterization. And I know I don't get it. <laughs> no, it's not even that. It's just it's the way that you look at it in terms of like, the character reason for why this thing would happen. And I'm over here just like, this is not a character. This is not a person. This is a tool in R.L. Stein's backpack. Robert Robert Stein was done. <laughs> he, was, he was finished with this man. He put him on the back burner. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I love it. I love you. I love working on things with you. <laughs> I, I wish... I I wish I could just be like, meh, whatever, character, moving on, like, in my own shit, in other people's shit. Like, no, I, I'm just, I look at them as real people for the five minutes I need to interact with them. But obviously that's a good thing because that's how you're supposed to engage with this fiction. <laughs> I, I just cannot divorce myself no. from, like, the fucking propness of everything. The author never put this much thought. Into this oh, character. Absolutely not. And good for him, honestly. <laughs> good I for love him. that he can sit down and just bang out a 40,000 word book and be like, meh, here you go. We respect the hustle, Bob. We do. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. <sighs> All right. So the whole point of this long rant about poor fucking, not even poor Ezra, but poor no. Ezra's characterization <laughs> is that he is not the character from the first book from either of the sections that we saw him in. He has gone into the patriarch role, and we all know what being a dad is in these books, so. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's being obsessive. Mm-hmm. We turn now to Wickham Village, Massachusetts Colony, 1737. I will note I have zero complaints about the dates or the ages in this one. I did my <laughs> obsessing, and it all checked. All checked I'm out so the, glad. Yeah, the only note I will make is that, like, anytime someone is an adult, like a parent, they are between the ages of, like, 33 and 47. Oh, that's so delightful. Yeah. It's just like, oh, my mother is, you know, she's tired, but she's beautiful. And I'm like, she's 33. <laughs> I just love that. Because he talks about, like, how his mother is, like, as per usual with these books, like, that her life and her children have fucking drained the life out of her. Every mother, every mother is so tired. No <laughs> woman should want to get married and have kids in this world. Because once you have kids, you're like, ah. I'm no longer a giggly girl. No, it's canon. They do the children suck the life force <sighs> out of you. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, I mean, you wouldn't want to be a woman in Arl Stein's world anyway. It doesn't I mean, go would well. Would you want to be a dude? Hey, Jonathan live Jonathan suffers tragedy, but he ultimately lives an okay life. He's literally the only one. That's that's fair. That's fair. If you're Jonathan Fear, you have a little bit of horror for a couple of weeks a tragic loss yeah and then you choose to do the right thing you're gonna be okay but i'm gonna i'm gonna go out here and say that you know what girl kind of brought it on herself <laughs> like <laughs> you know obviously ezra fear shouldn't have tried to shoot her yeah well but even when he was a kid you know with his sister and stuff too so like oh that's true that's true he had he had a little bit of tragedy every once in a while, like more tragedy than most people have. But yeah, it's it's really just he's the only character because other people do choose to do the right thing, and other people are like, "Nah, fuck that." Yeah. Somehow Jonathan gets away with it, and we thank him for it. Yes, you know Jonathan, you you lived a blessed life. Maybe his sister did too. Maybe Rachel. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe she got out okay as well. We don't hear about her because she is a girl and does not matter. <laughs> So And obviously, uh, that made me think, too, about how the fact that, like, she survived and probably survived long enough to have kids because it wasn't mentioned that, like, Jonathan took care of Rachel until she fucking threw herself down a well or something. <laughs> um, but Rachel would marry and so her name wouldn't be Fear. But Which there is... would be people related to the Fears out there. But it doesn't matter because they're not named Fear and yeah. everybody knows the names are the most important part. So any kids Rachel have, boom, instantly free. So lucky, Rachel. <laughs> You're so lucky to be a youngest girl. You're so yes, lucky. Yes, it's true. You know what? You could be Jonathan or you could be Rachel in this world and that's about it. Yep, that's it. Everybody else is getting fucked over. So anyway, as we discussed, <laughs> it takes Ezra 17 fucking years or however long it is to get to Wickham. What, 15, where is Wickham? A full fucking 15 years. From Western Pennsylvania. To Wickham, Massachusetts. To Wickham, Massachusetts, which is probably like roughly Salem. That is maybe a 10 hour drive. <laughs> I mean, sometimes horses are slow, you know? Yeah. 15 years later. <laughs> like, he has enough time to just stop and keep popping out babies before he gets to Wickham. And that is the only real lead he had. Why didn't he go there first? Why didn't he just, like, ride his horse to death and then pick another one and ride that one to death and do it in three weeks? Because I'm 
that I'm guessing it would take three weeks. That's such a good question because they spend the time after Wickham doing the thing that you would have expected him to do before Wickham if he didn't know where the goods were. Yeah. So, like, why does it take you so long, sir? I will say this set up in my head very incorrect expectations of how far away Pennsylvania was. (laughs) Oh, when you were a little kid? Yeah, because I was just like, oh, wow, Pennsylvania (laughs) must be so far away. Because, like, he had to, like, stop places and have family and so far away. The country is huge. I'm so delighted that you internalized that specifically. I love that even sixth grade Ollie was like the timeline. (laughs) I've always been obsessed with timelines. (laughs) Always. Except back then you couldn't fact check. I couldn't. So you just believed him. Exactly. I just went, wow, took a long time to get there. If he went there, he must have been checking every town on the way for the goods. Right, Pennsylvania. That's over by Oregon, right? That's what I, that's what it it seemed like to me. <laughs> I didn't know where the freaking states were. I could tell you all of the states in alphabetical order, but fucked if I knew where they were. I could right? tell you New England, the end. I didn't know it was like literally Massachusetts, New York, now you're in Pennsylvania. Good luck. You're like, I have one geography related skill (laughs) and it is not knowing where states are. (laughs) I know them now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I was like, Pennsylvania. God, that's really far away. He went so far. Massachusetts to Pennsylvania finally gets there 16 years later and everybody dead. (laughs) Everybody. I would have taken that fucking carriage that came across, though. I would have taken so many things. Like like uh, Abigail says, they're yeah. dead. They don't need it. Yeah, I like, loved her. She was great. <laughs> she was a very good child. So yeah, they get to Wickham and everybody's dead. You know, immediately you're like, oh, it was probably a plague. right? Yeah, like exactly. You know, and it is indeed a plague. Yep. It's just so weird because it takes Ezra a long time to catch up and it's like dude you're like in your mid-30s come on like they see a dead carriage and a, and, and a, three women are inside it and the horses are dead and it's like i think the wife asked the pertinent question of why didn't the town move them out of the way and bury them and right. it's like you should assume there is not a town <laughs> right exactly so the fucking 1600s we all know it's right? a plague 1700s they definitely know it's a plague right and then each each house they go to, it's like, hmm, well, if this one's got dead people, why don't we try this other house? That house will surely have people. You're like, no, Ezra, they're all dead. <laughs> I was I would say I was so delighted by how many skeletons popped out in this part of the book. <laughs> oh gosh, right? Every freaking chance. Every time somebody opens a cupboard, somebody opens a, a, door. a door into a house, turns somebody lifts up the toilet and oh no a skeleton is inside they crawl into their bed (laughs) they turn over in the middle of the night oh a skeleton where did it come from (laughs) they shut the mirror while they're brushing their teeth a skeleton Skeleton. oh somebody must have died here it's fine (laughs) they take a bite out of their sandwich (laughs) oh my god there's a skeleton in here it just fell out of my sandwich How did he get in there with the ham and the cheese? (laughs) It must have been in the bread. (laughs) Someone died in the sandwich. (laughs) Someone died in the 
egg in my sandwich. <laughs> it's just like, the mom's just like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot to clean the skeleton out of your sandwich. Here you go. And she just like tosses it over her shoulder. Well, I mean, you know, they do end up living in a plague house. So what does she expect when she used their stores? They do. They are so brave, honestly. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to mention yes. regarding the abundance of skeletons. How long it takes a body to become a skeleton. How long have these bodies just been out here rotting where nobody lived there? That they can become skeletons. Let's find out. Okay, Google. How long does it take a body to become a skeleton? Well, that's quite a window, Google. <laughs> right. The factors of uh, temperature, humidity, presence of insects, submergence in a substrate such as water. So I'm going to guess it's been probably at least a couple of months because some of them are described like the purple flesh that they have and things like that. And there's no eyeballs and, you know, like there is still a stench. Okay, that's an Ollie answer. The Sina answer is that in the world of Fear Street, as soon as you die, skeleton. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was surprised that they chose. I mean, I was not surprised that Ezra chose. But ultimately, I was surprised that, like, this is a plague town and you're just going to fucking hunker down. Where did the plague come from? Oh, well, clearly, you know, it, it came from these people that were hunting. But, like, what What if it didn't? What if it's, like, in the rats? What if it's, like, in the fruit? I don't know. Like, what if the mosquitoes are killing you? <laughs> Ezra does not care. It is. It is a choice. It is a choice. Well, and, like, Ezra is painted as a big old butthole from the moment he steps onto the page. But, like, when he forces his family to settle in a plague town yeah. where the wife is, like, I will not live where all of our neighbors are corpses, sir. It was a great line, too. We cannot stay here all alone with only corpses for neighbors. I loved that line. Ezra's like, "Uh, yeah, you will. He's like, you all will obey me because I'm the dad. Because I'm a man and you are a woman. Woman (laughs) child, woman child, boy child. What are you going to do about it? Uh, Nothing, I guess. Definitely not steal off in the middle of the night and leave you here because we require you. Like, they could. They couldn't because, like, this is a hard decision. But they could be like, your father is mad with obsession. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are going to pack up our crap. It took him 15 years to get here. If we <laughs> just ride for three weeks, we won't ever see him again. And we'll just tell people... He died. <laughs> he, like, got crushed by a horse. I, I wish that for Jane so much. I was like, oh, Jane, honey, leave him. Seriously, how did this girl, because she had been a girl at some point when she met him, see this dude, this fucking Kylo Ren dude, who was obsessed <laughs> with vengeance and think, mm, I'm gonna marry that. Jane's only three years younger than him, so... And Jonathan's 12 at this point. And it's 15 years later, which means there's a three-year window from the previous story wherein they met and fell into something. Something. And got married and then had Jonathan. I'm going to say that, like, 
she must have had a worse situation where this she must have. Kylo Ren motherfucker was the better alternative. Because <laughs> he's not like he's settling down and putting down roots anywhere. And he's not charming in the least. At all, right? She must have just been like, this drifter has come through. He's working for his food. Take me with you. <laughs> right. My parents beat me. Let's go. You're, you're better than my father, so let's get out of here. Poor fucking Jane. We just made her life worse. Ugh, I know. Poor Jane. The, I hope at the very least the dick was good. <laughs> let's just assume that Ezra was very good at fucking, and that's why they have three children. <laughs> I like Nobody that. else has three children in these books. It's true. Ezra, a miserable, obsessive son of a bitch, but a giving lover. <laughs> She's like, his mouth. Man, he doesn't <laughs> shut up, but yeah, he makes good good use of it. He can go for quite a while. <laughs> like, if you're going to talk, just head push. <laughs> <laughs> right, just talk to the other lips. Like, <laughs> I don't want to hear you anymore. So just, but you can hmm. you can hear your own voice. Go ahead, honey. <laughs> All right, we made, we made Jane's life better. <laughs> yeah, we slightly evened it out just a little bit. <laughs> Oh, this poor lady. <laughs> so, or else I never thought about this. <laughs> absolutely not. Giving lovers in my fear street? Never. <sighs> Women getting pleasure rather than dying? Witches! <laughs> like, that woman had an orgasm? She's a witch! <laughs> <sighs> we We solved it. Oh, we did. Alright, alright, where are we at? Where are we they, at? They, they've settled. They've in- settled. Oh, but the best part about where they settled in Corpstown mm-hmm. is that they settled into the Goods' former home. Which was there, so presumably at one point, George was there. Yeah, we never, ever see George. I'm so happy for George. Yeah, <laughs> George escaped. Good him. on you, George. Like, George leaves William Good, the actual witch from the first one. <laughs> he sees his dad, he's like, Dad, I'm good, I'm gonna leave. Because I, I think that William is a reliable narrator on that one when he's pretending to be Jeremy. <laughs> Being like, uh, alas, George couldn't stand our father's obsession and he moved back to Wickham. Well, we see that he was in Wickham, so I'm gonna mm-hmm. believe that he was like, Dad, you're a problem. I'm going. So, George and his family from... 1690s or so, I think, was when um, Susanna Good died. Sure. So let's just say by about 1700, until the 18... Was it 40s? George and his, like, descendants are okay. I do have to bring up one thing about that, though, because the next time we do see the goods, it's Franklin, who is a murder hobo. I know. Obsessed with the good curse. I want to know why. Right? That tells me that George didn't let it go. I guess, but like, I really hope Nora tells us that part of the story. I don't know. I feel like those hundred years are just, you know what? They'll probably show up in the other Fear Street sagas. I hope so. Because there is no reason for Franklin to be a murder hobo. But he somehow he knows, even though in the hundred years between Jonathan and Elizabeth, they managed to forget about the fear curse. The yeah. goods do not. So that tells me bad shit. Something. But it's just, it's very strange because it means that once William Good is dead, there's no interaction between the goods. And this is a spoiler for this current book. But mm-hmm. there's no interaction 
for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Like, just could you imagine you decide one day this family that ever interacted with your family 125 years ago is a problem and you're just going to go murder all of them. Well, and as far as George is concerned, the only thing that the fears ever did to the goods was kill Susanna and Martha Good. Yeah. So like, while that is terrible, you grew up without a mom and your sister you saw it made your dad obsessive, but like you made the choice to leave. You like Jonathan, chose to let it go, but then Apparently somehow not. didn't? Yeah. Did someone find, like, the journal mark. of William Good? Like, <laughs> I'm, it's, like, there's a big fucking hole in this plot, and it's called Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the plot hole. His name is Frank. <clears throat> Even though I am, I do appreciate that, like, you know, it bounces back and forth between which side of the family is like gonna do a murder? Oh, I know they all—they somehow produce an equal number of trash people. Yep. But anyway, <laughs> we have not gotten beyond like the third chapter of this book. <laughs> okay, let me open the book so that I can follow along. So they settle in Corpse Town. Ezra is like, if we wait here, we'll find a clue as to where George went. They go to talk to the other surrounding neighbors to find out where the goods went. And the neighbors are like, hiss, gasp, don't talk to me about the goods, they're witches. What I love is that Ezra introduces himself as Ezra Fear. And nobody remembers how the fears fleeced them like 40 years ago. That's a good point. Because it was his grandfather. Right? Like, they remember the goods, but they don't remember that one time the fears stole literally everybody in town's money and then left. Right? Because, like, Ezra is the same age that George's presumed children would be. Mm -hmm. So, like, George is probably in his 60s at this point. Mm -hmm. And people remembered George was the son of a witch. And they don't remember the fears. So clearly they were just like, eh, fears robbed us, whatever, moving on. Where? <laughs> like, it's a Tuesday. This happened. You know? <laughs> right. Like every t- every time a new snake oil salesman comes through, he fleeces us. You just gotta chalk We make up them our mayor and then they move on and it's fine. <laughs> but like, a witch. Oh god, we cannot suffer a witch. I like the idea that Wickham is just a city full of rooms, but also they do hate witches. <laughs> like, well, but what if this time the snake oil salesman is selling stuff that is true? <laughs> it could be. You don't know that. I don't want to miss out on being able to grow my hair back. <laughs> but if that person tells me you're a witch, we will burn you. <laughs> right. No, this guy is science or well, alchemy, <laughs> but not like the bad kind of alchemy. You know, the ones that the goods did. <laughs> So it it had to be like how we saw in the Fear Street movies where the stories of like the witches, because there were five of them that got burned, presumably Mm -hmm. no more. That had to have been a local legend. I guess they still let fucking George Good stay there. So I guess shit really didn't hit the fan until something bad happened. And then, you know, they had to find a scapegoat. (laughs) I think it was said that George like was a little kid and then William took him back. Like, he, it definitely didn't sound like William was like, uh, yes, I shall take this baby with me on my journey. Like, it, it right. sounds like he probably left George in the care of, um, her name was Mary something. Then came back for him when he was slightly older. Took him on this madcap revenge adventure. And then George was old enough to be like, I am going back home. 
and then lived there for a while until, oh, a plague. What are we going to say? Hey, that guy, you know, he's the son of a witch. I mean, this is all true because his dad is a witch, but like. (laughs) Right. Like, you're not wrong. (laughs) It's just he is not himself a witch. (gasps) What if William taught George witchcraft? I mean, entirely probable. I I want that for George. I want him to have actually known for the whole thing to continue on down the generations like that. Well, so here's a funny thing. We talked about how it took Ezra so long to find Wickham. But like, it also did take William good 15 years to find the fears again. Now, granted, they did not like leave him a note telling him where they were going. Yeah, yeah. They had, he had no idea. They ran off into the night. That man had nothing. He had what, what did you say? Two shillings to his name? Well, magic powers. I mean, but we know he was not that good at it. (laughs) It's true. We do know. He was a shit wizard. Yeah. Matthew was like, oh no, I, I, I outclass him, but like he is obsessed with killing me, so it's a problem. I imagine he had to work a while to be able to get the money to get out there. And by the time we saw him, he was just like some wandering dude. Oh, that's so perfect that it took him that long to find them because his magic powers were crappy and he just had to spend so much time grinding, you know, to yeah. level up. <laughs> Gotta get that XP. <laughs> to leave the city, you must have this much XP. Oh, <laughs> All right, fine. I'll pick the apples. Ugh, I have to get to level 15 before I can cast the spell to find out where they went. (laughs) Right. Must kill X number chickens by the full moon. Oh, God, really? (laughs) Meanwhile, the evil one is back there negging him. Like, this is why Matthew Fear had a booming business and your carrots were the size of normal fucking carrots, William Good. She said they were sweet enough. (laughs) She lied. (laughs) And now she's dead. The carrots are a metaphor for their penises. (laughs) As Jane will attest. You know it. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I love the idea that it was hereditary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we see, each generation of the fears is like wildly prosperous. But it is specifically only because of their stupid fucking wizard powers. Yeah. But that is a good point because somehow every generation of the goods manages to be poor as fuck. (laughs) Right? I don't understand it. Because they're bad wizards. (laughs) Maybe they should stop doing witchcraft. It really seems like it. It doesn't work out. (laughs) It does not. It really doesn't. Oh, God. All right, plot. Let's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not even a lot that happens. No, like, long story short, they find a ghost girl, and the ghost girl kills the cool little sister. Yeah, the little sister Abigail was nice. She used to wander into the city, or the village of Wickham, the the corpse town, and, like, her and Jonathan would bury animals, and then when they found, like, little kids or babies, they would bury them. Like, Abigail was a real sweet kid. She was, of course, also the one that, like, was the only one who could still make father smile. And it's like, she's going to die. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, is this your only joy in life? Yeah, I'll be taking that. Yeah, the the curse, the curse. Yeah. And this is the most interesting, like, or I guess with the previous episode, everything was just people. Um, Yeah, there was a little bit of witchcraft, right? But everything was just people being awful to each other. This is literally a ghost girl. This is Hester Good. She was like seven or eight when she died. And 
everyone can see her. And she asks Ezra, can Abigail come to my house? And he's like, oh, you're so sweet. Yeah, where do you live? Nearby. With who? Well, my mom and my dad. <laughs> That's cute. Like, but she's a ghost. I have a lot of questions about this. Like, I don't, it's Fear Street and it's stupid and it's just yeah. here to be spooky and pulpy, whatever. But like, this is so, as you said, everything that we've seen before has been done by a person with intent. And now we just have this random fucking ghost girl popping up. We don't even know if she's like George's daughter or sister or niece or granddaughter right. or what. They never specify. Like, presumably she was directly related to George because I don't think he had any other siblings. Right. But yeah, it's like, was this his daughter that died young? Was this his granddaughter that died recently? We don't know. And again, like, there's no reason to attack the fears in this situation. But this little girl's girl is like, I'm gonna steal your daughter because she's your only joy. Yep. And when they find her... There's a freshly dug grave, a brand new headstone. So it's like, this is not a person doing this. It's just magically there. And she's in a coffin and she's dead. Yep. And a ghost did it. Yeah. <laughs> I would have done this slightly differently. Mm-hmm. I would have had Abigail in the same coffin with the dead girl. And just kind of like little kids having a sleepover kind of thing. Where, like, there wasn't this whole new headstone or anything like that. But that it looked like the grave had been freshly dug up kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's creepier. I, I, I think so, too. Which is why I <laughs> thought of it. I was like, that doesn't make any sense that this thing just like, comes out of nowhere. But for him to look around and be like, oh, Hester, good. And oh, that the earth had been recently toiled. To put the implication that a human could have done it. Instead of right. this just, nah, Magic, this is a ghost. Yeah. Because <laughs> you could have hired a little girl to, like, run off and be like, my name is Hester. Come to my come to my house. And then, like, okay, child who is poor, here you go. Get your money. I've got to murder this one and bury her in this plot. Like, there could have been a human involved, but there really, really wasn't. I feel like that is a, this is going to sound weird, I feel like that is a period explanation where R.L. Stein always goes for the exclamation mark explanation. <laughs> agreed, agreed, agreed. <laughs> He's like, and it was a ghost. And I'm like, but how did it really happen? It was a ghost. They are fine, Bob, fine. Anyway. So, yeah, Ezra's happiness did. Yep. So, like, another, what, six, eight years pass? Because he's, yeah. like, 20-ish in the second part. He's, um, no, he's 18. It's only six years. Okay, so like six years. Which is, not, which is one of our shorter jumps. Oh, yeah, because we don't jump generations this time. Yeah. So we catch back up with Jonathan. He's in his 20s. They've moved into another town. They're the fears, so obviously they've used their good wizardry, good evil wizardry, to get rich. Also, again, the most R.L. Stein explanation. The fears were rich now. That's all you need. Yep. The fears had grown rich in the last six years. Whenever they moved to a new town, Ezra brought with him some goods. We're not told how. Tea, spices, fancy silks, to sell to the townspeople. His instinct for selling was uncanny. In each town, Ezra knew exactly what the people would need. Thanks to his ability, the family was now quite comfortable, but their new wealth had not brought Ezra peace. Like, where are you getting these teas and spices and silks from, sir? Evil wizardry. He gets them from the evil one in the woods. Who at least gets called the devil in this book. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so 
they're settled in town, or no, they just moved to town, because Ezra is still moving them around, searching for the goods. Indeed. But this is the last one, right, Papa? (laughs) Right? And, like, everybody is still pretty bitter about it. Oh, God, yeah. There's, like, this motherfucker and his obsession. We could be living normal lives, but he cannot let it go. (laughs) And, of course, losing... Abigail to the random ghost violence has like made him even more bitter. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they just moved into town. They're greeted by their new neighbor, a hot chick. <laughs> oh god. Okay, so the allosexuals are not okay in these series. <laughs> They're just like, oh my god, are they attractive? Fuck, I think I'm in love. Yep. Immediately it takes 0.2 seconds. Yeah. So yeah, he immediately falls in love with this pretty girl. She's poor, so you know she's probably going to be a good. The family starts being tormented. The mom, because she is a woman in an Arlstein saga book. (laughs) And has suffered a loss. Does nothing but talk about the little girl who died. Well, the reason it's extra sad, though, is because there is still Rachel. And like Jonathan comments at one point when the mom calls her abigail he's like no mom it's rachel he's like i suppose rachel must be used to it by now like in that poor little girl yeah like this is so sad because you've got this woman who is she's basically jeremy where's my jeremy except abigail where's my abigail but she's got a daughter who doesn't really actually look like her because she has different color eyes and different color hair and it's just it's just sad it It is very sad. And, like, the mom isn't, like, completely insensible. Like, she, she sort of recognizes her mistake and then, like, yeah. moves on with the conversation. But, like, as the book progresses, she gets more and more R.L. Stein insane. <laughs> Accurate. So, the story progresses. Jonathan becomes closer with this secret good girl, Delilah. They bond because they're um, heterosexual, allosexual teenagers. Accurate. They they keep being, like, tormented. Like, his mom keeps seeing the what she believes to be, like, the spirit of the little sister. They keep finding, like, weird stuff happening on their property. Like, they find one of their buckets for the well filled with blood. But no blood in the well. Right. Eventually, Jonathan also hears his sister's voice coming from outside. And then Rachel does too. Yep. And like sees her at her window. And the father is convinced that it's the curse and there must be goods in these here woods. There must be. (laughs) These here woods. There are goods in the woods. So one night they wake up and like the mom is gone. So they all go looking. I love how it describes that they spent several hours searching the house. I know, right? And I was like, what did you- She's hiding in the floorboards. Right? Did you think she was like underneath the fucking cabinet? (laughs) Why did it take you hours? I would have immediately been outside checking the woods because I had found her, you know, a couple nights before wandering outside. Right? I would spend several hours checking the property, but they don't. No, it will- It's part of my obsession problem with timelines. Like in the first one where Nora was like, the house burned for an hour before I was like, Daniel, you're not coming out. And then this one is like, we searched the house for hours. You can't. You cannot search the house for hours. No, I agree. It's it's just this thing that, again, if I was the editor, I could just be like, we spent half an hour 
searching and researching the property. Or we, you know, we spent several hours searching, searching the woods. The woods. Yeah. yeah. As somebody who's not timeline obsessed, several hours searching the house is a big fucking question mark. I am glad that it still stood out as a what the fuck. It's very wild. But they spend a couple hours looking under all of the beds, under the mattresses, Check the checking underneath the towels. Yeah. Did you look in the icebox? We don't have an icebox. Damn. Check underneath the chicken. Oh, you know what probably took them so long? They were looking in every single box that they hadn't unpacked just in case. Mm. Just like, did we pack her with the kitchen stuff? (laughs) We haven't unpacked all the den stuff. Check between all of the spoons. (laughs) So yeah, then they finally go search the fucking property. Yeah. And Jonathan is thirsty, I think. Yeah, they eventually find her in the well. It's pretty rough. Uh, because even the little girl is there to see it, which oh. is like, ouch. Oh, I did want to mention there's like one moment of Ezra being like not a shitty dude to his wife when he like found her beginning to wander the halls and he like took her back to bed and he was like, you're going to wake the children. Then he could hear her crying in their bedroom and stuff. And I was like, oh, Ezra didn't just slap her in the face and send her back to bed. <laughs> like, Wild. Right? <laughs> that felt out of character. <laughs> it did. It yeah. was super weird. Who did not give a fuck about his kids. Like, I didn't mention that. I'd forgotten. He treats Jonathan like fucking yesterday's chopped liver. Oh, yeah. Abigail would come into the room and it was all sunshine, but he'd see Jonathan and it would be like, what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get back to work. Don't you have chores to do? Yeah. There was literally a moment where Jonathan comes back and he's just like, why the fuck are you late? But then Abigail comes in and was like, we were just out. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. How did Jonathan grow up to be such a sweet, good man? Good question. And like know. the idea that that guy would give a shit whether or not the wife was waking the children. Wild. <laughs> no. Disbelief. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ghost girl, fine. Ezra gives a shit about his children waking up. And no. <laughs> this is fiction. <laughs> so they find the mom. Jonathan finally puts two and two together because... Delilah was telling him that they were going to have to leave soon uh, yeah. because, and that would like make everything better. Oh, Jonathan, I will leave soon. It will be fine. And he's like, what? What? No. Hey, what? Why? Oh, she was so sad because she was secretly a good and she blames herself for what's happening. So he's like, <laughs> and he runs over to the farm <laughs> and uh, the sister follows him. And I was like, man, you know, that little kid's going to knock you out, dude. No, right. Come Why on. did you send her away? Like, no, it's not her fault. But, like, she's a little kid. She's going to get intimidated by the dad. It's just such a blatant plot device that you can see coming a mile away. Like, this kid is going to narc Mm -hmm. and it's going to get bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, and also Delilah, her father's a minister. Yes. So he meets Delilah again. He confronts her. You're good, aren't you? And she's like, oh, no, you've discovered my terrible secret. I am going to go away for your family's benefit, unless... 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 It involves some sacrifice on your part. (laughs) She says. Blushing. Unless you can um, swallow the vomit that I know is rising in your throat right now. Because I'm definitely hideous. And marry me. And that will mend the, like, broken bond between our two families. Yeah. And he's just like, girl... I would have married you in an instant, regardless, but now I am definitely going to marry you. 
right? And even the little girl's like, oh, that's easy. You guys can just get married. Yeah. And everybody's just like, yeah, no, this seems like the best solution. Right? Yeah, He's like, how's that a sacrifice? Married. I love you. And, and like, Rachel's like, cool, I'll have an older sister. Right? And they're like, well, my father's a minister. He can do it right now. And Jonathan's like, that is a good idea because my dad will not be happy. <laughs> but, um, little sister, why don't you go back home so that dad doesn't get suspicious? He'll be wondering right? where you are. Let him fucking wonder. He won't go check the church. Yeah, that's just like what, let him wander around town for a little bit. It took him 16 years to get across <laughs> New York. He won't find you for a while. It'll be a month before he comes looking at the church. So I think we'll be okay. <laughs> so they go, they're going to get married. It's the happiest moment of Jonathan's life. They Ooh. literally get to the... Does anyone have a reason that these two people should not be married? And then fucking bada boom. Ezra fucking fear busts in with a rifle and he's like, not my son. Right? He's literally screaming, all goods must die. <laughs> it's so wild. Calling Jonathan a traitor. Like This is the best scene in the book by far. <laughs> I don't know. I've got another scene that I like from a slasher POV. Okay, okay. This is probably the best in terms of, like, the ridiculousness. Yes, yes, I would agree, I would agree. It's so good for, like, the instant karma, too, just mm, perfect. So, he busts in, he's like, you're not gonna marry that girl, get away from her. And they fight over the gun because, you know, Mm. he's gonna, like, shoot them. And then, oh god, guess what? A woman dies. Yeah, did you guess? Did you guess? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, are and you it shocked? sucks because Jonathan pulls the gun away and like staggers back with it and the rifle goes off in his hands and he- he's holding it. So technically he shot Delilah. But I mean, like, this is <laughs> this is so everything that's happened in every movie that's ever existed. You oh, yeah. Know? You so can see silly. that scene in your head. What you're thinking, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Delilah's father... Ezra, like, walks up on him, upon him, like, well, that's one good down, one to go. <laughs> All goods will die. The father's like, no, 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 no. We lied. It was a con. We we are big fat liars. <laughs> my bad. Not Didn't me. think my daughter would die. And I love, though, that Ezra is like, your lies are not going to fucking seduce me. <laughs> right. But Jonathan is there like, no, no, let him talk. He's, he's fucking Roybin from uh, <laughs> the Holly Black books. Just be like. Let him talk. I want to hear this. I want to know what this lie was. This is the wildest con in the history. You want to read it? Sure. What what page? It starts on page 90. A trick. A trick? I, I wanted Delilah to marry you, Jonathan. We are so poor, you see. And you are so well off. Delilah, she... Came home and told me the story of your feud with the goods I... I had an idea. I saw a way we could use it to trick you into marrying her. To trick me? I made her do it. I forced her to. Delilah was a good girl at heart. A good girl. This is all nonsense. Prepare to die, good. I have waited so long, all my life for this chance. You will not cheat me of my revenge with your desperate lies. Please, Papa, let him speak. I forced Delilah to pretend that she was a good, but 
I knew you would not marry her just because of that. So she made you think your dead sister was haunting you. She made terrible screaming noises at night. Delilah filled your well bucket with chicken blood. She made a cap with blue ribbons on it, like the one she saw in the painting of your sister. And she climbed your rose trellis to appear in your windows at night. Why? Delilah lured your mother outside with that blue ribbon cap. She threw it into the well. Your mother leaned over to retrieve it and she fell into the well. This is so extra. Delilah tried to help her, but she couldn't reach her. Why? We Why all asked. Why did you make Delilah do this? We had to frighten you. To make you desperate. So desperate you would do anything to stop the horrors. So desperate you would marry Delilah. We were <laughs> so poor, you see. So poor. But I loved her. I would have married her anyway. I know you cannot forgive me, but please, please do not kill me. My my wife, my daughter, the curse, the curse, the fears are truly cursed. And at this point, Ezra's hands flew to his head and he uttered a sorrowful wail and tore at his graying hair. Then he ran from the church, <laughs> screaming. Screaming. Jonathan heard a horse whinny, then a piercing scream, and finally, a sickening crunch. I love it, because that's the end of the chapter, obviously. Yeah. And then the very next page, what was that? Jonathan cried, knowing the answer to his question. <laughs> we all know. We all know. I adore just how much, hi kitty kitty, fucking melodramatic bullshit this scene is. Um... <laughs> I also wanted to point out uh, at this point, like we're halfway through the book mm -hmm. and boys get to scream and boys get to shriek so much in this book. Like most of these chapters end with poor fucking Jonathan screaming or like mm -hmm. later, later sections with one of the other men, like men scream a lot in this book. This I love true. that. Bob doesn't think that screaming is only for women and that I appreciate. Right, no. Women scream hysterically, so. <laughs> yeah. Men scream when a skeleton leans towards them. <laughs> or Manly. when they get run over by horses. <laughs> we know that you did, Esther. You're crushed by a horse. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised he died, though. Because I couldn't remember what happened. So I was like, oh shit, is he, like, is he not paralyzed or something? Nope, nope. He's just, like, crushed and bleeding out. It's so perfect, too, because, like... It's Reverend Wilson, and Delilah Wilson was his daughter. So is it like the Fears versus the Wilsons now? Are we starting a new family feud? Right? <laughs> because the goods had nothing to do with this. Nothing. I do not even know. Like, there's no... Oh, God, it's so ridiculous. All right, so obviously Jonathan goes out, and he finds that his dad is, like, crushed by a fucking horse. And Ezra <laughs> gives him the fucking amulet. And tells him that the power of the fears is in this amulet, and he's got to use it, and he's got to avenge Ezra's death. <laughs> like, you ran out into the street and got crushed by a horse. Do you want me to take my revenge on a horse? Obviously. Obviously. He has to fucking... It's going to be the fears versus the Wilsons versus this fucking horse. <laughs> the goods have been fine, but man, this horse and its entire lineage are... <laughs> Blue. 
<laughs> it turns out that this is like a prize horse that has been used as a stud all around town. So now Jonathan has to go and revenge himself on everybody's horse everybody's in the horse. town. He is not popular with no. the people anymore. People do not like him. He stalks the horses in the middle of the night. They start <laughs> setting up like watches so that like the horse murderer doesn't come out and get their horses. <laughs> Jonathan just walks towards the horses holding the fucking fear amulet screaming Dominicio Permellum. <laughs> they just and melt. And the horses explode. Yeah. The skin sloughs off. It's gross. <laughs> okay, that does not happen, but I wish it did. I do also wish it did. I wish that with his dying breath, Ezra <laughs> made Jonathan promise to murder that horse. <laughs> You're a different kind of horse whisperer now, Jonathan. <laughs> but no, Jonathan oh, is a so good, good boy. He is a good boy. He's the only good boy. Yeah. Um, And he basically says, nope, the curse dies <laughs> nope. with my father. Absolutely nopes out of that. I will put an end to it here and now. His fucking words. He looks at the fucking, like, piles of bodies that surround him, and he's like, nah. No, Dad, we have lived a miserable life. Rachel's still here. Like, I'm I'm not here for this. Nope. I love that the detail that they won't let Ezra be buried in the graveyards because he's a murderer. (laughs) Right? That Reverend Wilson is like, no, he shot my daughter. No one here is going to bury him. Yep. So he has to cremate him instead. And he takes the pendant, and he takes his dad's ashes, and buries them under an apple tree. And that's it. It is done, Jonathan thought. He stood and wiped the dirt from his hands. That is the end of the horror. The curse is finished. The feud is over. The fears and the goods will suffer no more. And that's it. That's the end of the book. Yep, that's it. What a good story. Yeah, everything Mm -hmm. is just done. Oh, but it's not done, because Nora's still writing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shit Nora uh, if you just stopped writing would it be over right it would have been a better ending <laughs> the Jonathan the hero chooses good yeah even of after evil. all that tragedy right he's just a he's just such a sweet boy I love him I mean especially like comparing Jonathan and everything that he went through to like Simon and what he went through and like where he is immediately like yeah. fuck all the goods right you know? he's like nope gotta do it this way or Ezra who was a child when his yeah. his whole family well not his whole family but like when his mother and grandfather died and then his his father was like that's it we're hiding in the woods so that no one can hurt us that Ezra ends up a fucking douchebag who's just like wait all I have is this amulet Ugh, my aunt went mad Ugh, my dad worked himself to death I'm gonna take on a crazy mission like Jonathan how. Right? How? That's a detail that they dropped in the beginning of the first section where, like, uh, Ezra's explaining the fear version of what the goods did to them. Even though we know that Edward and Mary both know that William and Matthew lied and put Susanna and Martha good to death. Right. For no reason. So, like, Edward and Mary knew the story. And yet Ezra got told the version? I don't know. I can only imagine that he is choosing to present it to Jonathan that way so that he will carry on the family curse. Because there's no reason for Edward and Mary to, like, tell him that version. Right? Because they're like, we're hiding in the woods because the goods will murder us if they find us. <laughs> because your grandfather 
um, killed two innocent ladies. Right, exactly. But no, Ezra has internalized this as, no, nah, we were in the right. <laughs> like, I know what my dad said, but no. But I'm pretty sure she was a witch. Like, come on. <laughs> like, obviously, she was a woman. Obviously a witch. <laughs> a woman accused of witchcraft? <laughs> Not a witch? Yes, <Yeah>, sure. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we skip 100 years. Yes. And then we cut back to, I guess they stayed in the same place because they're on the same farm. Yeah, yeah. They don't leave it. That is something that I will also say for Jonathan. Even though there was stuff that was horrible that happened, he wasn't like, I must leave this town. He was like, no, I'm going to stay here. Like, I hope he became friends with Reverend Wilson. (laughs) Just being like, all that shit happened, but I do need someone's help. (laughs) You fucking owe me. We bonded, you know? In that really awkward wedding ceremony. (laughs) You're technically my father-in-law. Right? Yeah. Like, we got there. So, yeah. A hundred years later, Jonathan's descendants, one of them finds the box with the amulet in it, which actually is kind of irrelevant to everything that happens. It just happens to happen at the same time. I like to think that if she hadn't found it, they would not have yet been found. (laughs) That Franklin would have just rolled on by. Yeah, that until they found it, Bad shit would have happened to the goods, and I guess the anger would have grown, but that they were safe. The curse is in the amulet at this point. The The idea of evil and all that. That's fair, that's fair. So, she finds the amulet, and the same day, uh, a dirty hobo comes knocking on their door, and the uh, Fear family are just so fucking nice. They are! For once. Oh my god, if Frank had just been like not this dude right it's like one or the other you know you flip a coin with the fears and the goods and they're either gonna be total obsessive assholes or just super nice right can't we just have two generations where well i guess we did and that was when there was peace but like it could have been interesting to have two generations of just oh no fuck this guy but i guess otherwise at that point they would have done the thing that i asked for which is murder everybody (laughs) yeah so uh, yeah, the fears are just so fucking nice that they invite this guy into their house. They share their meal. Yeah. They offer him a shower. God, he has a bath. Yeah, he borrows Simon's clothes. Yep. And oh shit, he's hot. Yeah. Mm. Oh, with a little food and clean him up, put him in some nice clothes. Damn, boy. Again, the allosexuals are not okay. It's so funny how they describe him, too. Like, when he's first introduced, it's just being, like, haggard. And, like, I got the impression that he was, like, 60 or something. Oh, no. They do not make him sound attractive at all. But then the minute that he takes a shower, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth is like, boy, yo, 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 look at that. Yeah, I like to think that in the film version of this book, you cast an old dude for that like opening scene with him and then you switch to the hot young dude oh that would be amazing that's like some not another teen movie yeah, shit that's exactly, great exactly because you could totally Beautiful. film these books like that mm-hmm. 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 And, and just do it that way and be like we're gonna lean into the fucking ridiculousness of it <laughs> but yeah he's suddenly super hot suddenly super hot elizabeth is suddenly super into him mm-hmm. The fears are super nice, and they offer him, like, work on their farm. And But, like, 
we are not allowed to, and you know what, I guess I appreciate it, because then it would have really been, like, a Jeremy story again, Yeah, which it, it basically is. But, like, the thing that R.L. Stein is doing in terms of, like, you know what the twist is going to be, essentially depending on whose perspective you're seeing. Yeah. So, like, if your perspective is from, like, the love-struck young girl, then her love interest is obviously going to be evil, right? Yeah. But this one lets us see him and know that he's evil. Yeah, it cuts to the chase and we get to hear um, Franklin twirl his fucking mustache. Do you want to twirl the mustache? Page 110. Sure. They are all smiling at me, he thought. They are so welcoming to the poor, starving drifter into their home. That is a weird way to phrase that. They are being so kind, so good-hearted. They will take me in, he mused, and they will nurse me back to health. As I get stronger, I will help them out around the house, entertain their sweet daughters and their lonely son. Eyebrow waggle. He's made like such an opinion of them. (laughs) Soon they will begin to trust me, and before they know it, depend upon me. They will all love me, all five of them, like a brother and like a son. Frank warmed his hands over the crackling flames in the hearth. Mrs. Fear offered him a cup of hot coffee. It is beginning already, he thought. I can see the warmth shining in their eyes. They want to help me. They are beginning to love me. I will wait. I will wait until they all love me as much as they love one another. I will wait and endure it all. Then I will turn on them, and that will make it all worthwhile. I will enjoy the shock and terror in their faces. It will make up for everything my family suffered at their hands, and all the pain I have endured to find them. I, Franklin, the last of the goods. (laughs) Just, what, what have these people done to you? They have left you alone for a hundred years. Generations, two generations have grown up and presumably died, and then there are these two generations. Four generations have left you alone, and I will also point out that Jonathan and technically Ezra also left you alone, even though Ezra was mm-hmm. looking for you. Yeah, Ezra tried, did not succeed. Yeah, did not work out. It's so weird. That he's like, oh, they're going to depend upon me. They're going to love me like a brother, like a son. Like, this is a sociopath. This is twisting the knife. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to, like, have a family legend about a curse and then, like, go off to hunt the people. And, like, I don't know. Maybe you fucking take a shot at them with your rifle from 20 yards outside the house. Yeah. But, like, I'm going to make them love me and then murder them. I want them to. Woof feel something when I kill them other than just shock at me being a stranger killing them. I want them to be like, you Franklin good? Right? It's ridiculous. It's wild the level of like, the way that Franklin can acknowledge that, because he does it like all through the book when we get these little fucking mustache twirling (laughs) monologues. He's like, oh, they're so nice to me. Like, they're offering me stuff. But then simultaneously, you'd be like, I can't wait to kill them. Oh, it's right? going to be so fun when I get to stick the knife in their belly. He never looks at these people and goes, they're so nice. Maybe I'm wrong. No. 
It is they who are wrong. They are faking it. If they knew who I was and what I had, what my family had done to them and their family had done to me, they would never have woke me. No. He's just like, they're so good. Mm, It's going to be so, like, squishy when I, like, smush them apart. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? He's a goddamn gremlin. (laughs) He is. Frank is the worst. Like, of all of the characters that we have seen, he is the worst. Yeah, because he has no motivation. Like, at least there's been, like, some direct benefit to people throughout the fucking series so far. Like, he has no benefit. There's nothing he gets out of this. Right. It's been a hundred years. You don't know these people. They don't know you. Like, come on. Benjamin put Susanna and Martha to death because he didn't want his son to, like, marry a poor. Do we agree with this motivation? No. But it is (laughs) his motivation. So, all right. Matthew got fucking recognized by another wizard and was like, we gotta go. (laughs) So he stole all their money and didn't free them. Okay, I still don't agree with your motivation there, Matthew. But at least you had any. Franklin is like, hmm, excellent. I have found the people I will murder. He acts like he's done this before. He feels like a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's part of why he's like, just the worst is because most people wouldn't think ah yes i can't wait to kill them unless they have already killed people he has presumably not killed anybody yeah and it's it's like these people are nice they're like sympathetic they've been nothing but be nice to him like this is not a beauty and the beast situation they did not turn his ugly ass away to the road which i was expecting when Elizabeth answers the door and sees this hideous man and she's like sort of scared of him. I was expecting her to turn him away, but instead the dad is like, we have plenty of food. Come on in. Right? She's <laughs> like, oh, he's not going to use that as an excuse. Oh, they're just nothing but nice. Oh, have a bath. Oh, have some food. Oh, rest. No, you don't have to work. God, I can't wait to slice your throats. Right? Oh, and then you think, oh, he's going to have, like, some second thoughts about killing them because they've been so nice to him. Nope, not that once. That would have been any amount of characterization as opposed to, as you said, mustache twirling. Nope, gonna stab. Oh, I can't wait to fucking stab <laughs> these people. Oh, it's gonna be so good. You're gonna slit their throats with a knife. I'm gonna stab <laughs> them in the head with a knife. <laughs> he's just rocking a constant boner thinking about how great it's gonna be when he fucking stabs them. <laughs> Just laying in bed thinking, how am I going to do it? I can only do it once. There are five of them. I could choose five different ways. (laughs) No. (laughs) He's a manipulative sociopath, and I don't know how he does it. I don't know. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The point is that this is the story where the two girls fall in love with the, the one dude. And you can see it from a mile away. Oh, yeah. It's a thing of, like, the perspective, right? Because, like, we only see his interactions with Elizabeth and her interactions with him. But there's obviously, like, time that he could be spending with Kate. Of course. And every time he and Elizabeth are remotely together and Kate wasn't, Kate's weird about it. And, like, Elizabeth mentions, I like him. And Kate's like, of course everybody does, gotta go. (laughs) Elizabeth is like, well, that was weird. Oh, well. (laughs) Guess I'll stir the soup. (laughs) That's going to be like the phrase from now on when something is weird and you just pointedly ignore it. Guess I'll stir the soup. (laughs) So, long story short, Kate 
comes in weeks later. He's like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm going to tell everyone. <laughs> we're, we're getting married. Aren't you happy for me? <laughs> Elizabeth is like, what? And of course, if you're a child and you're reading this for the first time, you're like, what? And this is where Elizabeth hits the trope that Bob likes to do of. Yep. Oh, girls love not good. Girl go crazy. Oh, and it's so wild because like, as it was with Mary when this happened, she's been narrating the story. She's the character. She becomes a babbling mad person. We swap to somebody else because then she's a murder suspect. Because <laughs> she she like yells at her sister while everyone's happy about, yay, this is great. Franklin will join the family. Oh, good. And then she's like, Bruh! and like accuses her sister and then runs from the house. And Kate follows her out to this field that she keeps walking to with Franklin. And the next thing we see um, oh, she had her knitting needles in her hand when she ran. She threw them away, you know, clearly indicating to us that Franklin will take every opportunity. Um, Simon also chases after. I think we forgot to mention him. He's the older brother. Yeah, he's, they have a brother. It goes Simon, then Kate, then Elizabeth, like one right after another. They're they're very close in age. And he finds Kate stabbed through the heart. Wild. With a fucking knitting needle. It's great. Because, <laughs> like, what was Frank's plan here? Good question. If she hadn't had the knitting needle, what the hell was he going to do? Well, we saw earlier where he tried to strangle Elizabeth with her own ribbon. like, Or he was going to, but he didn't. He did it way earlier than, like, when was he going to set off this murder bomb? Right, because he would have had to do all of all of them at once. And like this one, Kate came in all like, I'm getting married. And Frank wasn't around. And it's like, hey, where are you at? And so he just had to, I guess, watch. And then be like, eh, she threw the knitting needles. Sounds good. Oh, there goes Kate. I could stab Kate with the knitting needles. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Like, but there's no forethought to this man who has been doing so much forethought. Yeah, it's it's weird because you expect because the game doesn't play from here on out, right? Yeah. Because he's been manipulating both girls into thinking that he's in love with them. Now he's blown up this bomb of like proposing to Kate, which has blown up his spot with Elizabeth, and you think that they're going to like gaslight Elizabeth into thinking that they didn't actually have a relationship. But then it changes and he kills Kate. And yeah. now the play is like making the family think that Elizabeth killed Kate. But then he immediately kills the family. Well, no, 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 no. He tells Elizabeth, I never proposed to Kate. I love you. You should marry me. And she's like, oh, that's great. Let's do that. <laughs> Even though they blame me for, you know, her death. Right. And they're going to elope. Yes. And so we switch over to Simon's point of view and like, Mom and dad are in their bedroom, sad. Elizabeth is pacing about her room. We know she's packing. And I don't know where Frank is. I hate this house. I'm going for a walk. So he goes for a <laughs> fucking walk. But when he comes back... Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. No, no. While he's out there, he re he runs into the old lady, old Aggie, who is like, just some old lady who lives nearby. 
She's nothing for, like, what a fucking wild role she plays. She's nothing. Yeah. She's just some old lady. Like, when they were, when the three kids were kids, they used to be like, oh, she's a witch. It's like, I've been a kid. I know it's just, here's this lady who's probably 40 years old. She's so old. And, like, now they're older, so she's 60 years old. But she knows his name, both Simon and Franklin. And gives Simon a dagger that is tipped with poison. (laughs) Who are you? I was expecting her to be like a good or a fear who wanted this to continue to be over. And like Jonathan had told about the the, the thing was like, I I charge your family. Like if if it was Rachel's descendants. Yeah, or something. Anything. I'm going to have to headcanon that she's a descendant of Rachel. Yeah. And like... That they all just knew any of the fears need one of us to watch them. (laughs) It's the vaguest possible thing because she only gets mentioned in passing when Rachel and Franklin are out walking together because she mentions that like there's a witch in these here woods. Yeah, and and then like like, the next time they're out there with the ribbon and he's going to choke her. And then she shows up again. (gasps) Gasp. And then Simon goes out into the woods and she's like, man, do I have some shit to tell you? (laughs) Sit down. He killed your sister. Here's a dagger. Go do a murder. Oh, it's not just that. She tells him. Oh, God, the line. I forgot. I forgot. This is where you're right. She plays such a big role. Okay. Hear me, Simon Fear, and hear me well. How does she know my name? Simon wondered. He did not dare ask her. You have allowed a man named Franklin Good into your home, am I right? croaked old Aggie. Simon nodded. That was foolish of you. He will destroy you all. You must stop him. Simon swallowed. Old Aggie continued. Franklin Good killed your sister Kate. At this very moment he plots the death of Elizabeth. Simon was shaken. Could the old woman be speaking the truth? Fear, old Aggie murmured. Fear, fear, a terrible name, a cursed name. What do you mean? Simon demanded. Why do you say that, old woman? Your fate lies in your name, old Aggie replied, her face hidden in the darkness of her hood. The letters in your name, they can be rearranged (laughs) to spell fire. Fear, fire, fear, fire. She repeated the two words several times in her croaking voice, chanting them to sound like curses. I don't understand, Simon confessed. That is how your family will come to its end, old Aggie rasped. What? How? How? By fire, she murmured. Fear, fire, (laughs) you shall meet your end by fire. Simon gasped as old Aggie pointed a long, terrible finger, a terrible finger, into his face. You are under a curse, she cried. A curse cast by the goods and by your own evil history. Now, you have allowed a good into your home and to your family. Your suffering will know no end, Simon Fear. But what can I do? Simon choked out in a shrill, tight voice. What? The old woman reached into the folds of her long black robe and pulled out a small silver dagger, its handle studded with dark rubies. Take this dagger, she whispered. Its tip is poisoned. You have only to scratch the skin of your enemy with it, and he will die. Simon took the dagger from her with a trembling hand. Be careful, she warned him. The dagger will only work once. Do not waste the poison. I I will not, Simon promised, gazing at the dagger as if it were alive. 
Old Aggie nodded. Go now. Hurry. Before it is too late. The end. Fire. Fear. Fear. Fire. Fear. Fire. Fire. Fear. Fire. Fire. Fear. Fear the fire. Fear. Wild. I mean, classic R.L. style. But then he changes it to F-E-A-R, and it's like, what, will you be killed by the fair now? (laughs) Do not cross the Hudson. Do not pay the toll. (laughs) They'll fucking, they'll nickel and dime you to death. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It is. The fact that he then, you know, goes on to believe this bullshit. To be fair, the dagger was tipped with poison. (laughs) I just love that, like, he's like, oh no, her magic. And it's like, magic is fucking poison. She's like, put poison on the tip of a dagger. It will only work once because, like, then the poison will be in someone's system. Like, it's not a magic deck. But no, she's an old woman in the woods. Uh, She's She's a witch. witch. It's a magic dagger. So fucking funny. And the fact that he thinks it will work instantly. I'm just like, child. Yes, it's amazing. So yeah, he goes back to the house. Whoops-a-doodle. Franklin has blown his murder load all over the house. All over the kitchen. Oh my god. So this was the other scene that I thought was pretty great from a slasher perspective, because you mm-hmm. just, like, walk into the kitchen and, like, mom's dead in a pool of blood. And his father's slumped over and there's, like, a wound on his side and, like, it's just just blood everywhere. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Elizabeth is cowering in a corner and, like, Simon has got the axe up and he's gonna fucking kill her, but oh no, he just kind of chops a little bit of her hair off, so it's like he just kind of, like, Takes a chunk out of her skull and I'm like... Right. JK, this, JK. Yeah. This is some slasher shit right here. All he needs is a mask. It's a good line, too, because he, like, he cuts the, the chunk of her hair off and then he says, just teasing you, Elizabeth, but the next one's going to be for real. <laughs> he's so melodramatic. He's fucking wild, this dude. So, yeah, he's going to, like, chop Elizabeth into pieces and then Simon's like, nah, I got this magic dagger and he, like... He literally just scratches him with it. Yeah. It is like a tiny red line as thin as a hair. And he laughs. He's like, is that it? You hope to stop me with a scratch from a dagger? Franklin's <laughs> just like, all right, well, I'm going to continue killing your sister now. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming for you next. So just you wait. Right. And I love that Elizabeth is there looking at Simon like, what the fuck was that? Help me. <laughs> right. She's like, you have a dagger. You could stab him with the dagger. Want to try that? And then Simon's just like, well, uh, I'm not strong enough to fight him, so I guess we're just going to die now. Thank God for the fucking poison, Simon, you useless piece of shit. He really is. He had no characterization. And then, like, just the worst reaction to your family is being murdered. Slice. Oh, you give me a paper cut? (laughs) I don't think they even mentioned, like, that Simon was sickly or that he was thin or everything. He nope. was just a dude. Yeah. But he's not strong enough to even try to take the axe from this guy. That Come on. That would have been characterization. Being like, you know, Simon was always sickly. He had he got some disease when he was young. And so he doesn't work the farm. He helps out inside the house. Blah, blah, blah. He's a scribe. Like, I don't know. Just something. But the family's right. okay with it because they're, they're very nice people. Mm-hmm. No. He's just some some dude. He's just like 19. Mm-hmm. And he can't overpower this man who until a couple weeks ago looked like a walking skeleton. <laughs> I 
they do. They do talk very often about how fucking thin he looked when he first came into the house. Yeah. So, uh, thankfully, poison. The old woman's magic. It hadn't worked. (laughs) Oh my god, kid. Yeah, the poison does eventually fucking get into his system. You know. Like it takes. Like poison. Like, thankfully, between the time that he stabbed him and the time that he was going to axe Elizabeth, it kicked in. Right? He finally keels over, and Simon is left there in a kitchen covered with blood, making some decisions about his future. And I hate this for the characters. I hate that they always make the decision just be like, we should go. We should leave this house. We should leave all of our belongings and just go. It's not even that. It's this. I mean, obviously, that's like a bad decision, like financially too. Because like, what? It, where are you gonna? You know, just hire right, somebody to clean it up or something. You know. God, you're just seriously. You're just leaving one sister and your parents just dead. You didn't yep. even check on your dad. Your dad might not be dead from his wound. Yep. But uh, instead, he stands in the middle of that kitchen. He's like, "Goodness is weakness." Ugh. Only evil can fight evil. And it's like, Simon, where was your characterization? Yeah, you had not enough character to make this choice and have it mean anything to me. Yeah, it's so stupid. It's just, as far as they know, they murdered the last good. But there's one more book. Right? So, like, we're told that Frank had, like, seven siblings. And one by one, I watched my brothers die. But, like, there's no mention of if he had sisters Or if he was just exaggerating and maybe one of them did live, like, where are these goods going to come from? Right. Well, I mean, and that is a good question, because, like, at the end of this book, Simon's like, the last good is dead. The feud's over. Yeah, except there's been a hundred years and we know George had a family. So presumably there could have been other branches of this tree. And that's also, like, very contradictory with this choice. Like, as far as you know, the family's dead. So then why are you suddenly deciding that you're going to be, like, an evil asshole? Yeah, and, like, we'll we'll discuss what happens at the end of page 146 in a moment, because 147, Nora tells us that, like, Simon's chapter is the most horrifying of them all, because, of course, you mm-hmm. have to say that, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make any sense. Why? Why does it have to be? We just had pretty terrible shit happen. Yeah, it's it's dumb. It's a dumb choice. You know, and these are pulp books. It's just a cartoon character making a cartoon character choice because there's one more book in the series. Yep. But we do get the biggest, most important thing. Oh, it's so good. He chooses to change. So he thinks about Aggie's words echoing in his mind. The letters in your name spell fire, and that is how your family will come to its end. By fire! <laughs> Fire, fear, fire, fear. (laughs) And Simon thinks about how he's not going to let that fucking happen. Oh, because what if my name doesn't spell Mm -hmm. fire? Mm -hmm. Got you there. And that is why he changes his name to F-E-A-R. I am no longer Simon Fear. Now and forever, I will be known as Simon Fear. (laughs) Capital (laughs) F-E-A-R. I wish he'd kept it that way, too. Like, I will now be Simon Smith. I'll be Simon Smith. <laughs> no, like, he just sits he down, he gets out his notebook. He's like, okay, what can you make out of the letter Smith? Is it anything bad? Mitts. I could be suffocated <laughs> by mitts. Um, 
hits, somebody could hit me. No, okay, we got to try something again. What about what's got to be short? Because if you can make words out of the letters, then it's a curse. So it's got to be short. I'm going to be Simon G. That's it. Me and Elizabeth, Simon G, Elizabeth G. Oh, God. What if somebody tries to kill us with an eeg? What's an eeg? Is an eeg anything? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, like, But no, he doesn't even take that amount of time. He's just thinking about this as they're like fleeing their house. He's like, this is my choice and I'm sticking by it. <laughs> Simon Fear. That's how, you know, everybody from now on gets to be an F-E-A-R and an F-I-E-R because that was important to Bobbert. Bobbert Lobbert was like, you gotta get there somehow. <laughs> right? It's called Fear Street, not Fear Street. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, that's the end of this book. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for Jonathan, I would hate this book so much (laughs) and like you know i didn't walk into this book expecting to particularly like it but between simon and frank it's unbearable it's true true. they're pretty terrible yeah so that last third is just like just skip it yeah i feel like the first two parts are like almost something yeah like obviously story there right obviously the fucking ghost attack is very stupid But at least we get to see somebody's life kind of play out without them going insane because of love or, you know, becoming an evil wizard. Yeah. Like, it's almost a story. And then we get to Franklin shit and it's just like, oh, yeah, this is what this is. Bob was like, oops, I spent too long actually having, like, kind of a relatable character. (laughs) (laughs) Back to, to the wizards. Get back to something really gruesome. Let's do this. Let's put I don't know, a knitting needle through her heart. Great. Let's have an axe murder scene. Right. Nothing quite beats the brain bubbling through the skull face. I don't think anything stuff. ever does, honestly. No. For that was pretty gnarly. But uh when we next meet the burning. Ooh, yeah, let me let me see what's that one say. Young Simon falls in love with the beautiful and wealthy debutante Angelica Pierce, and he'll do anything in his powers to make her his wife. So apparently Simon does become an evil wizard. But then, after moving his family to Shadyside, Simon discovers that only a precious few will escape the Fear Mansion's gruesome horror alive. And so it is left to Nora to tell the truth and bury the family curse. Before it buries her. So I guess we're getting ready to intersect with Nora's story. I sure hope so. Because her story is, takes place in 1900, like, even. And we're in, like, 1860? Yeah, let me look and see. It is 1843 when Simon leaves. Okay. Which probably means that Simon is Daniel's grandfather. Yeah, that's so, like Angelica right. is probably his grandmother. I mean, assuming he does marry her and she doesn't just end up dead, as right. usually fucking happens. Um, so we're probably one generation in between, and then Nora and Daniel's generation. Mm-hmm. So give me that story. Let's go. It's what I'm here for. Almost there. The with the story we've been promised for two whole books, right? Like I remember loving Nora. Even though I I know obviously she doesn't do a whole lot, mm-hmm. but like just believing in her and wanting her to get out of stuff <laughs> and her good having good things in her life was what I wanted for her. 
it can't have just been a pretty cover. And if it was, then for shame, sixth, sixth grade me. I mean, listen, props to Bill Schmidt, man. Yeah. Really making this work. And he made three covers. So it's like, it's not like it was just one image where it's like, oh, wow, she's very pretty. It was three covers. And we got to see her like trying so hard to write this story and get the story out. Yeah, like this this man conveyed a lot with these expressions and these pencil eyebrows. Like <laughs> she needs she needs the good eyebrows back. She does. I definitely started writing after this. Really? Yeah, I had been reading the Fear Street books, but then I read the Fear Street Saga ones and they felt so much better mm-hmm. than the other ones cuz like, I just I liked historical. And it was like I said, it was 6th grade, but by 7th grade I was regularly writing just total fucking rip-off horror stories. Oh, for sure. But, you know, like, these books made me write. Yeah, no, that's huge. Absolutely. If you read these books and you had anything good come out of it, it's worthwhile. Right, yeah. And you know what? That is probably, probably says more about you uh, (laughs) than it does about the quality of these books. (laughs) Well, I went, ooh, that was fun and gruesome. Let's, let's describe stuff. Oh, man, my family found my stuff one time and I got so yelled at. Oh, my God. They thought I was, like, gonna be a Frank. Oh, my God. That was a real Frank move, Ollie. (laughs) Writing these gruesome, grisly stories. There was, like, the question was like, is this what you think? (laughs) It's like, yes, but it's a story. So how do you describe that? Like, you're a kid, you don't have the words for it. Right. But yeah, so that's... I don't know, it's fun to be rereading them and being like, oh yeah, I know why I started writing. <laughs> I can see it, the traces of me. Yep, yep, it's good shit. So, um, That's wild. I wouldn't recommend this one without the first one, but if someone read the first one and was like, should I read the second one? I would say the last third is just a wild ride, but you definitely want to read this one because it has one of the best characters. Yes, for sure. Like, it, the only good fear boy. Yeah. Well, we don't know. Daniel might be nice. I don't remember Uh, shit about him. The odds are stacked against him. Yeah. Like, because even if he's like, I want to marry Nora and end this curse, he dies and doesn't get to end the curse. Mm, Sucks for you, Daniel. Sorry. You'll never live up to your great, 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 great granddaddy. Nope. How about you? How'd you feel? Uh, no, I, I agree. It's not something that you should just read by itself, but I I don't know why you would, because it clearly says it's, like, book two, you I know, know right. the Fear Street Saga, so just, and like, just read the first one, but I... It'll take you three hours. Right? It's not that much of an investment. I, I enjoyed this one. Um, It was very silly. There wasn't anything quite as good as the pop, yeah. but... The idea that Ezra Fear spent his last moments on this earth cursing a horse will get me through a lot of dark days. <laughs> I love that Ezra spent his whole life looking for goods, thought he found them, found out that he was just a con artist, and <laughs> ran away screaming, being like, no, this is the goods' curse. Ah, the horse, avenge me, my son. Like, what a <laughs> terrible end that is super perfect. Thank you. Ezra deserved that. Yep. Good times. Good times. Yep. Um, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this Mr. Toad's Wild Ride here. Um, <laughs> if you've been rereading them or if you've ever read them before, please do let us know your thoughts. Yes, please. I can be found on Twitter at Olivia Hennis, and you can find the podcast at Backlist Podcast. And you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Endless underscore Run. You can also find the podcast on Patreon, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash Backlist and Chill, where patrons get episodes pretty early, probably pretty early in the case of this one, since yeah. we got in the bag so quickly. And uh, yeah, we appreciate all of our patrons. You got, You are all great. You're wonderful and we love you. You are. And I would like to know all of you and, you know, like, what books do you like to read that are young adult? Like, why why are you here? What drew you to it? I want to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please tell us. what. Let, let us know what your favorite uh, R.L. Stein book mm-hmm. is. If you're into that, uh, tell us what you thought of the Fear Street saga. Were you as delighted with Franklin as we were? <laughs> like, let us know. All right, we will see you all next time. When we return to the final installment of the Fear Street saga, The Burning. Ah! <gasps>